You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Good morning, everyone. I guess I don't get an iPad? Okay. Um, (laughs) All right, here we go. Acts 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. For those who I haven't met, I'm Patrick Boatwright, one of the pastors here, and it is a pleasure to be here. There's something I want to ask you, a small favor, so, um, but there are, some, there are members of our church that are, are in the midst of a, of a pretty unexpected um, situation right at this moment, and uh, I would love to just join our faith in prayer for them. You don't need to know the details other than just like, can we just, can we just join our faith together and pray for them in this moment? Cool. Um, Lord, for our brother and sister who are in the midst of a, a chaotic and kind of unforeseen situation, Lord, I pray for peace. Uh, I pray for wisdom. Lord, I pray for favor. I pray that you meet them in the midst and bring a calm over them. And I pray that you would bring up help uh, and that you would uh, make a way where there can seem to be no way, but you are the God of, of straight paths. And so uh, you say that what we, what two or more ask in your name, uh, in accordance with your will, it'll be done. And so we trust you, um, but we ask as children who are given permission to do so. Uh, and so we love you, Lord. And now would you minister to us through your word, we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends. Uh, Small announcement, if you were here last summer, um, you might have been at our first Oaks Church Brooklyn prom. Anybody? Anybody? Yes. It was a happening time. There was like live karaoke. Uh, There was all the kind of things. And if you would like to make that happen again, we need members to join the uh, prom committee. So if that's you, come find me. Uh, We can run this back. And you may ask, why prom? What are we doing here? There's no real rhyme or reason. Uh, well, do you really need a reason to dance? My son would say no. Uh, any, any time is a reason uh, to dance. 
but I, maybe there's a, 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 small, a small reason, if I'm being very honest. Um, I never went to prom. And so, in some ways, you know, what's the crown without a little perks, you know? <laughs> uh, I didn't go to prom because uh, I, this is not a humble brag, but I finished high school a year early. Um, so I was never a junior in high school. So if you ever do two truths and a lie, I'm going to have to find a new one. Um, so my senior year of high school is also the summer before it's when I came to Jesus. And, uh, and so I'm living in the newness of faith. And prom comes around, and my faith is, is growing. And there's, there's something that I know, which is uh, while I am trying to live in this righteous way, my girlfriend was not. And I had an idea of where prom was going to go. And uh, I was trying to make the move from ratchet to righteous. Um, and so in obedience to the call of the Lord, I had to end things uh, before prom came. But that meant I was without a prom date. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to prom alone. But I was in this youth group and I had this friend and we were just totally friends. We were really good buds. And uh, she knew about the situation, and she said, hey, I'll, I'll come to prom with you. I'm like, great, fantastic, easy breezy, let's go. Uh, and then about like a week later, this is probably, this was like two, three weeks before prom, she comes back and she says, I got to talk to you. I, I actually can't go to prom with you. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, uh, and the reason she couldn't go to prom was because her dad had, had found out um, that his white daughter was going to go to prom with this black kid in a youth group. And uh, he didn't agree with that. And he wasn't a stranger. I mean, I, I, he knew me. I knew him. We high five in the hallways at church. Uh, he was a major part of our church. Um, but that didn't sit right with him. So she had to back out. And that kind of put a whole pall over the prom thing. Kind of like the story just did to where we were. I'm sorry. <laughs> we won't stay there, but uh, that's the reality. Honestly, that's the reality for, for a lot of us in here. Uh, It's messy. And it's, it's a particular kind of violence. Not all violence happens with fists. But I, I want to caution this because I, I know you can hear a story. I'm from South Carolina, and I, and I know some of you are like, well, tell me you're from South Carolina without saying you're from South Carolina. Um, and I can hear that. I, I, but I, what I think can happen, though, you could dismiss what was a, a, a racist act. Let's not sugarcoat it. But it's easy to dismiss that racial act as, you know, obviously from such and such people, from such and such place, 
and we can condemn them because, of course, those people do that and, and we don't or we're not like them, right? I would never participate in that. And so it's easy to kind of just push that over there. But that's exactly why we're in this series, Messy Church. Because we're exploring the mess-covered beauty of the early church. Because what I experienced as a 16-year-old, uh, that was actually not something new, even within the confines of a church or religious community, right? So it can be quite reductive to simply label racism or really any sort of bias. Take it outside of racism. Take it to, to gender or sex or anything else uh, as mere like this external social violence. Behavioral psychologists and social identity psychologists, they actually, they posit that bias actually may be rooted in a developmental need, that it's not so much like always evil or like evil people being evil, but there actually may be something deeper going on, right? So when we're born, our parents aren't initially distinct from us. The, the infant doesn't see mom and dad as, as people. They're like milk carriers. We're born into community and then we develop into a self. So when we're born, right, our parents, they provide all our needs, and then eventually we come, the child becomes aware, like, oh, wait, these things, they're actually different from me. There's, there's a distance here. Sometimes this, that thing that gives me the milk isn't always there, right? And so our parents become distinct, and once they become distinct, then survival becomes precarious because that means milk may not always be there. Food may not always be there. Uh, a hug when we're sad or when we're scared may not always be there. And so I need this group. You tracking with me? And then from this group, the self kind of emerges because then it's like, oh, well, if you're there, then I may be here. And as we develop, we have the self and then the self wants to survive. And so the way that it does that is through in-grouping. And what in-grouping is, is just basically categories. You're with me, you're not with me. You help me live you're useless. And this is a survival tactic, right? And so as a child, what we learn is that like, hey, I need mom, I need dad, I need this parent to provide for me. My safety is tied to this group, and if that's the case, well then I'm gonna really need to make sure that I stick with those who are for me and stay away from those who are not for me. So then you create a bias, in and out. And this affects everything. It affects, studies show us the way we empathize. It affects the way we judge the actions of others. Honestly, science has shown us that bias even affects how faces are recorded in our minds. There was this uh, study by this Yale scholar, Yarrow Dunham, uh, that showed that color is an especially salient feature for young people to overlook. So there's a children in a classroom experiment who are divided into two groups and given two different color t-shirts to wear. Later on, children were much likely to remember good things about all of the children who wore their color shirt and bad things about the one who wore the other. 
Kids will begin to show these preferences right away, in the lab, on the spot, Dunham said. It's not just a preference. It's also a learning bias. The children actually learn differentially about the in-group and the out-group. Here's my point in all this. We each carry the propensity and capacity to reject the other. And that's not always a bad thing. Our son, you've seen him. He's probably run up and hugged you. His whole life, he has never met a stranger, which is great for strangers, not great for us as parents trying to keep him safe. Because <laughs> he'll just be like, cool, you got candy? Yeah, I'll go with you. <laughs> and so we have to teach him like, hey buddy, okay, yeah, there's gotta be some, there's gotta be some, some distance. You know, mom and dad, we're over here. We need you to kind of recognize that not everybody has your best intentions at heart. It's a weird thing for a child who just loves people. Take it out of the realm of people. Food. Like, for some of us, milk is not a great thing to have. And so when it comes to foods, that goes in the out group. Gluten goes in the out group. Vegetables go in the out group. <laughs> Candy in the in group. What we learn in social psychology is that if your survival is dependent upon you and you inextricably exist within community, then it can seem better for you to stick with people who are like you because they are more apt to also care for someone that's like them. And then as an in-group, we circle the wagons. And that's like explicit versions of it. Honestly, this stuff is sometimes, oftentimes, completely implicit. We don't even know that we're doing it. It's subconscious. And yet, it feels violent all the same. And the reality is, when we talk about messy church, we're talking about our church. And so bias has happened, can happen, and will happen in our community. So what do we do with that? Well, I think our text has something to teach us about that. So let's go into Acts. So to remind you where we're coming into in Acts 6, this is the early church. We always talk about like, you know, they shared everything and, and they just like, it was just kumbaya and the s'mores were incredible. And these people just, we just want to go back to Acts 2. Well, that, that was Acts 2. Here's Acts 6. We're probably about two years from the resurrection of Jesus and the church is organizing themselves, right? Things are growing. Things are happening. And we zoom in on this story that Luke's right. It says this, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the dis daily distribution of food. So there's a couple of things I want us to, to catch right here. So like I said, we're two years after the resurrection and you've got one group, all these new Christians still holding in their Jewish identity, but they're now these Messianic Jews. And you have the Aramaic speaking Jews. When it says Hebraic, it's talking about those Jews. They were all Jews, but there were some 
who spoke Aramaic, who were rooted in the temple, and in the and then they had not, had returned from exile, and so they had grown up in the way of Judaism proper, if you will. They would be kind of the more conservative-minded people, and that's not speaking to political ideals more than how they related to the Torah and their culture. And then you had these Greek-speaking Jews. So you had Jews from the northern kingdom that were spread all out throughout Assyria. And so they had assimilated among other cultures that weren't Jewish, and they were predominantly Greek-speaking Jews. And so after the day of Pentecost, those Jews had come back to Jerusalem and had become planted there. But they carried with them the kind of cosmopolitan, like neoliberal kind of ideals that we may see in a city like ours, right? And so you have these, like, you have these conservative Jews, you have these liberal Jews, you have these, these Aramaic, like, uh, kind of a rudimentary Hebrew-speaking Jews, and then you have these Greek Jews, and they're all together, and yet, this is what I find amazing, there was this holistic gospel that I think we have to catch what's happening here. So this is the early church, and they're not just giving themselves to spreading the good news that Jesus is alive. That is a part of what they're doing, but they also have concerned themselves with their daily necessary needs. They were making sure everybody had food. What a beautiful thing that the gospel is not just what you believe, but it impacts like how you eat and keep a roof over your head. So daily they sat down for this meal. But in this meal, what was happening were the Greek-speaking Jews, these widows, they weren't getting really taken care of, right? Maybe you've been in a restaurant and you see that one table and she's all just like, hey, honey, what's your order? What can I get you? And you're sitting there and your cup is empty and you're like, can I get a little service? And so there's these mummers, there's these rumblings that are, that, are, that are rising throughout the community that bias is taking place. One thing I want us to note that what it says in verse one, it says that these, these widows were being overlooked. And it shows us that this wasn't actually some intentional act. No one was trying to be rude to these, these, these Greek widows, these Greek speaking widows. It was just honest bias. A lot of the leaders were Hebraic Jews. They knew a lot of those widows, had known them for a long time. So there's just some honest bias. But it hurts nonetheless. So these murmurs are rumbling, and here's what happens. So the, 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 the murmurs reach up to the 12, the apostles. And so they get called together, and like, we've got to do something about this because there's this unity in the body. And so they say, well, here, here's the deal. We really need to keep doing the ministry of the word. We really need to keep preaching and teaching and making sure that the word is getting out to people. We, we, we can't, that, that for us is our calling, not serving these tables. And so here's what we suggest. We wanna to suggest to the church that we find some men and we give them the task of making sure that all the widows are getting what they need. Here's a couple of things I want us to notice in that too. In, in verse 2 of Acts 6, they bring the solution, the apostles, the leaders, to the whole church. I think that's important because this problem wasn't just a problem for leaders. Everybody cared about it. 
When we talk about being a messy church, one of the questions I have to ask, and I think we have to ask is, what murmurs are we ignoring in our own community? We just said bias happens even when we don't mean it. And that's creating pain and violence on people in this space. And how is that living out? Are we conscious to it? Or is it like, I'm good, so I guess everybody else is good. So in the face of this, the whole church gathers, they give this this recommendation. And then it says that the people thought this was a great idea. Verse five says, the proposal pleased the whole group. And I love this because this means everyone cared, some were called, but all affirmed. There are issues that will arise within our community. And it doesn't mean that we're all gonna be able to like, or should directly address it, right? But am I concerned with the problems that are making this place inhospitable to others? Or am I only concerned with my own comfort? That's the nature of bias. All we care about is our own comfort. And so I want things to stay the way that makes me feel good. And if that doesn't work for you, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to hurt you. But in this community, everyone cared. And so then the some, they were raised up to go address the issue, and then everyone said, cool, we're going to make sure that happens. There's something else beautiful that I love about this. There's something that can be confusing here. Uh, in verse 2, where the apostles say, it's right, it is not, would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. You can hear that, and what you could hear is the leaders going, but I didn't, go to, I didn't go to seminary to be waiting on tables. Have you heard me speak? You expect me to put out chairs? That's actually not what's happening here. No, what's happening here is that the community, the leaders, and everyone is being obedient to the Spirit and reverent from the Lord. And so they're just doing their jobs that they've been, they've been tasked and called to do. So what the leaders are just saying is, this is the role that we serve within this community. This is also a necessary role. This can't just be about the leadership, but we've got to find other people to help do the work. And then let's go and find people, get this, not people who are like really good at waiting tables. Not people who have the spiritual gift of hospitality. No, they just say, let's find people who are full of the spirit and of wisdom. It's very important. We're going to come back to it in just a little bit. The apostles weren't putting themselves above serving tables. They were putting themselves below the call of God. This is what God had called them to do, and so they were just being faithful to that. And they were inviting others to do what God had called them to do as well. And what's beautiful is that because it wasn't gift-dependent, there's this implication that people just signed up to address the needs that were in the body. It needs to happen. I care about this community, and I care about the Lord. And so, hey, this is how I will serve. 
I'll go watch the kids. I'm happy to go pour into them. I will make sure that the, t- the chairs get put out. I will make sure that we can sing and praise the Lord. I will make sure that we can hear a word from the Lord. Whatever it is that needs to be done, I will step up and do it as the Spirit leads me. Here's what it means to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. The full of the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit. And wisdom, the scripture tells us, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which means a reverence for what God has for us. And so what they looked for were people who were guided by the Spirit, obedient to whatever God told them to do, and really respected the Lord as, their, as, their, as the one who directs their life. That was it. I think for us there comes a question. How has Jesus called us to serve our neighbor? How are we giving ourselves around here and outside of here to be deacons? The, words, the word deacon there just means servant. To be a deacon is to be a servant. So, they choose the seven. I'm not going to even pronounce these names because Virginia did such a great job. Uh, that was excellent. But they called the seven. And they take these men and they say, hey, here are the men. The the church says, hey, here are the men that can do this job. And they say, we're going to bless them. And this is what I love. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. This was a serious calling. And they took it seriously. These slides in the back that you're seeing and they're scrolling, and I'm sure in a timely fashion, is because Frederick has come this morning to make sure that they're up there. For those of us who need a visual aid, Frederick has stepped up to do that. And that's an important job. Thank you, Frederick. They put hands on the people that were gonna wait tables and they prayed for them. They commissioned them because it was important because it impacted people. There's no job in here. There's no, there's no task in this body that isn't holy. So they picked the seven. And they said, I love what it says of Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And this is so important because bias, as we said, isn't inherently a bad thing. When bias helps promote health and life, it's good. When it's used to invite violence and death, it's bad. But how do you know? How do you know? This is why the requirement was that they were people full of the spirit and full of wisdom. In any community, there, there has to be an in-group and an out-group. If there was someone in this community that sought to do harm to others, I would ask them to leave. They would be out until such a time as they wanted to come and participate and be in. And I wouldn't bat an eye about it. I'd get plenty of sleep. Because it would be for your health and their health, because hurt people hurt people. 
but how could I tell? What do we, how, what's, our, what's, our, what's our line? Is it based on my bias? Well, this is where we go to Galatians 5, and we're going to start wrapping up here. To be full of the Spirit and wisdom puts us under this. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Bias for comfort's sake is wrong. This is why racism, white supremacy, it's wrong. Because it seeks, it seeks to, to, to create a barrier of comfort. And to say, this is right, and because you do that or look that way, you can't be here. Because that makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's of the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, Paul goes back and says, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. You know it when you see it. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we are led by our own desires and what makes us happy, what makes us comfortable at the expense of others, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we live by our base needs, we will try to save ourselves. As the scriptures say, those who, who try to save themselves or satiate themselves, who try to satisfy themselves, well, they will lose their life. But those who lose their life, for the Lord's sake, well, they will find it. And that's because the Spirit, going back to Paul, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, there's, there's no such law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. How do we know when bias is good and when bias is bad? Is it rooted in my comfort and my own lusts and desires? Or is it rooted in producing the fruit of the Spirit? If it is, if, it is, if, what, if the lines that we draw in here or for the furtherance of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faith, and self-control, by all means. These are the attributes we should bless and affirm in each other. This is why they lay on hands and prayed for the seven. The messiness of bias infects the church in ways when we focus on controlling, manipulating, and maintaining a community of self-comfort. Kids become problems to keep quiet over inheritances of the Lord to be well invested. People of different personalities, seasons of life, stages of faith become annoyances that need to shape up or ship out over brothers and sisters to enter relationships of mutual learning, accountability, and growth. 
preferences become principles. My support, my time, my money, and my deeds become things I withhold depending on how I feel. Instead of gifts from the Lord that I hold in open hands as he uses them to help nurture, shape, and grow this community. It is Mother's Day, and throughout the scriptures, whether it's a mother eagle or a mother hen or caring for a weaning child, the Lord calls itself a mother that just wants to protect and to nurture and to guide. And what social psychologists tell us is that when a child has a mother figure, has a parent figure that helps them feel safe, that helps them believe that their needs will be cared for, that if they are scared, they will be attuned to, well, that child will become secure and able to let others be others. They won't be dismayed by change or difference. And so when we allow the Lord to mother us, to nurture us, to be our sustenance and our provider, what happens is we are able to more and more be a diverse community. Because you are not, you looking like me isn't what making me feel safe in this community is about. The Lord has made me feel safe in this community. And he's helping you to feel safe and then you can be different from me. And then I actually get to learn something beautiful and new. I actually become curious about you, not cautious about you. And then when that happens, and I just, I'm over time, I just want to just particularly note, this is particularly important the more power that we carry in a community. I have a lot of power in this community. Each of you in those seats, even though you're sitting there and I'm sitting here, each of you have different levels of power in this community, depending on things like your gender, how long you've been here, the amount of people you know, your personality makeup, you all have different amounts of power. And for those of us who have more power, this is, this is even more important that we are making sure we give ourselves to the concerns of those with less power. And not bending them to our comforts, but laying down our power so that they can thrive. Because then we all thrive. There's more than enough to go around. Can I get an amen on that? Like, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Goodness gracious. I thought, I thought that was, was going to hit. I thought we were there. <laughs> it's time for me to get off the stage. Let's see. Let's go. Uh, worship team is going to come back up. I think the invitation for us is to become people of the spirit and of wisdom. We're going to talk next week about drawing lines in the community because that's what happens next for this church in Acts. But, but before we get there, I really, just, I really feel like we need to wrestle with those, with this invitation. How am I moving in this space? How am I relating to these people? Is this about my comfort? Am I allowing the Lord to use me to make sure that we are growing and growing in health?
You can stand with me. First seven said the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All this because bias was taken seriously and people full of the spirit and wisdom gave themselves to do what was necessary to make a community thrive. So here's our invitation. It's one of examination. Would you search your heart this morning? If you call this community home, if you have another community, I would ask you to contemplate what this means for you in your context, in your community. How are you relating? How have you been using your power? Where does your comfort come from? Is it coming at the expense of others? And if so, I would just invite you to come and just have someone pray for you, just to to offer up a confession to God. I've been seeking my own comfort and I want to change my ways. That's the invitation. Maybe you've been under the underside of power. This place has done harm and violence to you. Sure, maybe it's been unintentional, but it hurts all the same. And you maybe have been silent. If that's you particularly, I would love to pray with you and to hear you. Because it can, is, and will happen here. It's like rats in New York City. Nice. You got them, just got rid of them, or about to get them. So, I would just love to pray with you and to think through what it means to move towards you. And all this, let us pray, let us worship, and I'll bring us back to the table. Lord Jesus, would you move in our hearts and show us what your word would have for us today. Make us more and more in your image, we pray. Amen.